Hi, I'm Hannah, team manager with the Orange Arrow Players Association, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to coach student athletes to aim for success off the field. Please consider making a play by giving, hosting a friend raiser, subscribing to our podcast and YouTube channel, and staying connected on social media at Orange Arrow PA. Visit orangearrow.org for more information. Thank you for listening. Take aim. Welcome to Inside the Play Call with Orange Arrow, and I'm your host, Sean Robinson. And today, we have a very, very special guest, my guy, EJ, a.k.a. Ernest Joseph, EJ Borghetti. What's up, boss? How are you? I tell you what, I am honored to join you here today. I know you got to be getting to the bottom of your guest list if you're scrapping for me, but I'll tell you what, I'll take it. Any opportunity I get a chance to uh, get to the plate and take a few swings and talk some life with you is richly welcomed. I appreciate it very much. I've been looking forward to this for a long time and good to be with you, man. Man, good to be with you as well. So I said, hey, Ernest Joseph, but are you really known as Ernest Joseph? Like do people, anybody... Anybody in this room call you Ernest or Joseph? All right, Cliff Notes version here. I am actually Ernest Joseph Borghetti III. Uh, my grandfather, uh, my dad's dad was a senior. Uh, my dad was junior. I am the third. They both went by Ernie. Uh, however, my father, you know, after Pitt uh, was with the Kansas City Chiefs before he tore up his knee, and one of his teammates uh, in the 1960s, his name was E.J. Holland. Uh, who's an outstanding player for those uh, Chiefs teams of uh, the AFL era that went on to win a Super Bowl. And he said, you know, if I ever have a son, I'm going to name him EJ because it kind of fits. You keep Ernest Joseph, the family name, yet I kind of got my own identity that way. So by and large, the uh, vast majority of people call me EJ. Some people who know my father uh, will call me Ernie on occasion, but uh, I am EJ. Awesome, awesome. Now that I know you are the third. I might start calling you Trey. <laughs> hey, cool. that's fine by me. I have to call you Trey. So, EJ, you understand it's a warm-up stretch, right? Love the warm-up stretch idea. You know, get a little limber before we get into the heavy lifting. Right, right, right. So, I got a couple questions. So, here we go. Of all time. Until this day, you could watch it as if you've never seen it before. It's favorite TV show of all time. All right, hybrid answer here. And if uh, my wife was here, she would uh, tell you about how I'm always pulling up uh, NFL films from the 1960s and 1970s. I love watching those things. I watch them all the time. It's the point where even my uh, 11-year-old son makes fun of me because uh, it's like 9 o'clock at night and I'm pulling that stuff up on YouTube on our TV. But formal TV show, uh, it would be, without a doubt, and the interesting thing is this TV show predates my birth. It would be Rod Serling's The Twilight Zone. Uh, classic, like so ahead of its time, I think in many ways, brilliant writing for just a, you know, a 24 minute show. Um, my interest in that show actually uh, led me to read a lot of stuff on Rod Serling, a very gifted writer, playwright, huge in the uh, growth of television. And uh, he was a very complex, compelling, interesting guy as well, who left us far too early. But I love The Twilight Zone. I think it ran for five seasons. And uh, whenever they have those marathons on the Sci-Fi channel, uh, I check in on it and just love watching it. All right, Twilight Zone, Twilight Zone. All right, here we go. So we're going to get to your in athletics and media. But if you work any job in this world for one day only, what are you doing? Yeah, I love my job, my, my, my actual job. But I would say if you gave me one day 
Uh, and it didn't necessitate, like I could not, I couldn't say airline pilot <laughs> because I don't have the training, uh, but I would say this, uh, I would love to be a school teacher for a day. And uh, my wife is a school teacher. And uh, I know that's a very challenging endeavor, but it's also a very important, valuable endeavor. And I think obviously that's something that uh, in many respects, you've taken on education and teaching uh, uh, as a vocation, Sean. And I find that to be highly admirable, so very important. And it, uh, it plants seeds for, uh, you know, generations to come. So that's what I would pick. I'd love to be a school teacher for a day. Side note on that. One time I was a mystery reader at my son's uh, elementary school and I went in with a plan. I said, I'm going to have this story and this story to read. Um, I brought in one of, um, oh gosh, uh, I, I had a sports biography, a little miniature one, you know, that first graders would be able to uh, uh, enjoy. And then I had a, a Dr. Seuss collection. And uh, I had one story picked and all of a sudden I gave into the crowd like, let's do Wacky Wednesday. Let's do Wacky Wednesday. I said, OK, I gave in. I, I completely lost control of the classroom. I didn't finish in time. So I understand how challenging it can be. But uh, that's what I would pick. As a school teacher. Now, which grade level would you teach? I think you'd be excellent. So middle school, elementary, high school. Well, I didn't show exactly uh, much skill with handling the uh, elementary school crowd. Um, you know, I would probably pick middle school. I think that junior high era is a very, very interesting time and a very challenging time for young people, of course. You know, they're coming of age. Uh, they are segueing into adulthood and sort of young adulthood in some respects. And uh, I think I'd like to do that. Wonderful, wonderful. Last one for you. You've listened to one musical artist for 30 days straight, only one. Who are you selecting? Yeah, you know, uh, some people might be surprised by this answer. They may uh, label me kind of a classic rock guy or, a, you know, I, I grew up in the 80s, so 80s pop and so forth. But for 30 days, uh, I would pick I would pick Miles Davis. Um, I would pick Miles. You know, I became I bought kind of blue when I was 20 years old and I was uh, an undergrad at Pitt and uh, fell in love with it. It's a classic. It's a standard bear. But I'm, I, I haven't uh, delved too deeply into, uh, you know, his five decades of work. And uh, I would probably need 30 weeks, not 30 days to get a full taste of that. But he is such a diverse, important uh, artist and talent that uh, I think that I would certainly uh, uh, do myself well to listen to Miles Davis for 30 straight days. Oh, wow. That's a great choice. That's a great choice. He has so many hits. Like, so what? I mean, I can listen to Miles as well. Now, have you played the instrument or do you play an instrument? I have not uh, uh, one grain of musical talent, uh, not in the least. Uh, sadly, probably a lot of that has to do that. Um, I don't know that I really ever tried. Uh, shame on me. But I'm glad that, you know, my uh, my soon to be 12 year old, they have a musical program at school and he plays hoops. and He plays baseball, but they have an excellent music program that introduces young people to uh, that very important art form. And he brings home an instrument and he was all upset. He uh he was unable to attend the annual concert because he got contact traced the other week. Uh, but he played it. You know, he played his instrument in our living room. He did it virtually and um, nice. seems to really enjoy it. Now, I don't know if he's headed for the Carnegie anytime soon, but uh, it's all about trying and getting introduced to that art form. And that that obviously leaves an everlasting love and, and appreciation of it. So that's uh, that's important. Sadly, I, uh, I appreciate it, but um, can't do it. He gives a uh, maximum effort on it. In addition to uh, hitting and pitching and shooting hoops, uh, you know, in the backyard of the driveway, he goes uh, at it with equal devotion there. And I certainly can appreciate that. Wonderful. Wonderful. EJ, take us back. Young EJ, where are you originally from? Early beginnings and also your introduction to sports. 
Take it away. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, uh, we're all about our roots, aren't we? You know, I, I kind of call two places home. One of those places you'll appreciate because it was next to where you grew up, um, uh, Youngston, Ohio, uh, hmm. a family that's still there. Uh, but I would say probably the vast majority of my, you know, formative years, my wonder years, so to speak, was spent in Newcastle, which is about 20 miles, you know, across the border east into Pennsylvania. So I, I look at myself as, I guess, first and foremost, as a Newcastle guy with uh, an honorary merit badge from Youngstown, given the amount of time I spent there and the fact that I still have family there. And, now, um, now, now, Newcastle, there's a restaurant there that they're known for. Which, which, what is it? Is that the, the Quaker Steak? Oh yeah, yeah. That's over in Sharon. Not too. That's probably Sharon. somewhere in between both uh, Youngstown okay. and Pittsburgh and, and Newcastle and so forth. Quaker Steak, you know, wings, of course, very famous for wings. And I remember when it was a small little place, and obviously now it's branched out and franchised and everything. Um, I will say my uh, one of the most notable restaurants in Newcastle was uh, Chuck Tanner's place growing up. You know, Chuck Tanner, the uh, mm. World Series winning manager of the Pirates back in '79. He called Newcastle home and he had a restaurant there and um, don't know that it's still there. Sadly, I don't get back to Newcastle as often as I should or I want to. But um, both great places to grow up, um, you know, great values. Um, you know, the, these are towns that came out of, um, you know, industry, uh, mills. Um, and uh, although they've evolved over the years, I think those values are still there. And very much like Pittsburgh, you know, they're, they're, they're satellites of Pittsburgh. And uh, certainly sports is a big part of the DNA there. And, you know, I alluded to, um, you know, my father spending some time with the Chiefs. He played at Pitt, was an outstanding two-way lineman for Pitt. Um, so I grew up, I was, I was born in blue and gold blankets. A, a love for Pitt, certainly a love for Pitt football. When I, when I think about growing up, I can remember my first game was actually during the 1976 National Championship year. It was Pitt-Miami. Now, I don't have a lot of specific recollections uh, of that game. Um, but I do kind of have, you know, you have these big, bold, bursting memories, right? The, the larger vision of the scene and so forth. And, you know, that really was the start of uh, a lifelong love affair with Pitt Athletics. And, uh, you know, I played as a kid. Uh, I, I always describe my athletic career was a, not gifted in the least, but I was a dive on the floor kind of guy. I was a... Awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was a, a blue collar type who tried to uh, maximize every rep. Um, but, uh, not, not particularly talented, but I, but I learned a lot through my experience through athletics, teamwork, you know, value of sacrifice, commitment. And, um, even though the, my unillustrious athletic career ended a long time ago, I will say the experience of playing growing up, um, the experience of, uh, whatever meager successes I may have had, uh, whatever colossal failures I may have had, there was something that, you know, made a mark on you, uh, forever after. And uh, I don't think about those days every day, but I will say the lessons I learned from those experiences do stick with me every day and do make a mark on me every day. And um, as such, you know, I came to Pitt and, and, and ultimately got the encouragement to, to make sports, uh, college sports, specifically Pitt sports, uh, you know, my driving, um, my, my professional ambitions. And thank the good Lord, I've been able to I've been able to do that for now, uh, 25 years and count. Wow, 25 years. I'm going to take you back. So what sports did you play growing up? All right. So like any, uh, well, like a lot of kids, I should say, I uh, started out with baseball, uh, then moved into football and, and played hoops. You know, in, in high school, I played football and basketball. Uh, as I said, 
Uh, certainly was no All-American type, but I was the type of guy who uh, maybe at the end of the first quarter, they'd uh, get me off the bench, send me in there to go pick up a few fouls on the, uh, on, on, on the six-foot-six center on the other team, you know, get a little physical, right. uh, go dive for some loose balls and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, that taught me that there is a role for everybody. Uh, right. Not, yeah, yeah, as you all know, not everybody uh, has the, uh, the gifts of the Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, what makes Larry great, of course, is the fact that mega talented, but does all the little things, too, that a role player does. Correct. And, um, you know, that's what I learned. It's the same way in professional life. It's the same way in family life. There is a role to play and a responsibility that you have to others. And uh, that's what makes it so gratifying. Now, what athletes did you look up to growing up? Oh, man, you know, it's keeping with the Youngstown theme, you know, besides my dad being my first football hero, uh, I would say my first non-family athletic hero was Youngstown's finest, Cheney High School's Matt Cavanaugh, uh, who uh, was a national championship winning quarterback at Pitt. He was a part of that, uh, those majors recruiting efforts that uh, brought the Renaissance back to Pitt you know, reviving it from a one in 10 year in 1972 to uh, being national champions four years later. And, you know, as I was starting to uh, get into sports as a kid, as an elementary school kid, you know, Matt was uh, a star. Uh, He was a national star. He was an all American. And I remember he'd make uh, visits to banquets and so forth in the Youngstown area. And my dad would take me there. And I was just, you know, became enamored of him. The great thing is, uh, decades later, when Matt came back to be uh, offensive coordinator at Pitt under, uh, under Dave, Dave Wanstead, I had the opportunity to work with him every day. And that was, um, that was so cool and so awesome because, uh, you know, somewhere in an attic, there's a Polaroid from uh, 1977 of me with Matt. Uh, I'm a little second grader. Uh, he's a star quarterback and All-American, and uh, we're both sitting there with these wide lapels uh, that only the 70s could produce. So <laughs> someday I'm going to have to go find that. That's awesome. I did not know Matt was from the Youngstown area. Yeah. Yeah. That's but then, cool. you know, hey, and then really all my sports heroes growing up, uh, you know, hey, look, I mean, I got into the Steelers, of course, the Steelers uh, winning four Super Bowls in six years and the Pirates and so forth. But, I, you know, my greatest heroes were always pit athletes. Um, you know, I mean, I can remember trying to be Hugh Green in the backyard, you know, making tackles in backyard football, Dan Marino, Jimbo Covert. Uh, I remember I had a weight room set in the garage and I had this pit football schedule poster and, uh, it was, I can still see it in my mind's eye. It was a picture of Joe McCall, who was a tailback in the early days going over the top and who was plowing the way with Bill Fralick. And I remember I would look at that, uh, uh, and you know, Bill Fralick, and Jimbo Covert, these are guys who made offensive linemen cool. You know, uh, they right. became, they weren't anonymous, you know, five blocks of granite up front. I mean, these were guys who became nationally renowned uh, for what they did on the field. So um, pick guys were always my heroes. And, uh, you know, I talk about that way, but you're working out, you know, junior high football player and everything. And, you know, like, hey, Bill Fralick was known for his great work, work ethic and uh, getting it done in the weight room. He just had a tenacious passion. You know, there's a story that he broke into a weight room, uh, his high school weight room uh, on July 4th because it was closed because he wanted to, he had to get a workout. In. And, you know, uh, looking up to those guys, that's the type of work ethic and dedication and commitment you have to have to be successful in whatever endeavor. But those were my greatest heroes. Uh, I can remember sitting at the uh, lunch table in elementary school arguing passionately why Hugh Green should have won the 1980 Heisman. And he should have. Uh, but those are the type of things that I remember most. And uh, I guess maybe it was preordained that I would go into the profession that I did because uh, 
I love advocating on behalf of pit people every day. Uh, and, um, you know, it started way back when, when I was uh, 10, 11 years old. Now, you have a photographic memory, and people who do not know you, they'll, they'll get a little a glimpse into that throughout the listen to this podcast. So you said who Green should have won in 1980, the Heisman Trophy. Do you remember who won George, the Heisman Trophy? George Rogers, South Carolina running back. A team had a worse record. But, you know, at that time, <clears throat> defensive guys just weren't getting a nod for that kind of thing. The fact that he finished second was uh, amazing. You know, Bill Fralick went on to finish twice in the top 10 of the Heisman voting during his career. Um, wow. You know, um, I look at a guy like Hugh and uh, I look at a guy like Larry Fitz in some respects they were so great, but they were ahead of their time and they served as transitional figures for, for their positions uh, for people to win it later on. Um, you know, Larry was a, had an unprecedented finish for a sophomore, finished second, of course, quite famously or infamously to Jason White. Um, but, you know, Larry's finish opened the door for future sophomores and ultimately future freshmen to win the award. Uh, right. So they were great be, and, and uh, they were great be ahead of their time. Um, but, you know, awesome people, awesome athletes. And uh, it's an honor to be able to call all those people. That's a great thing too. You know, I grew up, you know, idolizing Jimbo and Bill Fralick and Hugh Green and shoot, I got a call from Hugh Green last night at 1030. <laughs> I, and I missed it. I missed the call. And of course I called him back next morning. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, got to know Billy uh, exceptionally well, of course, during his run as color analyst, you know, uh, think of him quite often. Uh, Jimbo, of course, is going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame now. And I've told him how I remember being down at the Sugar Bowl uh, after the 81 season and seeing him and his dad in the lobby of the hotel. And, you know, now these are people I get an opportunity to collaborate with and work with all the time. And, and, and what a blessing, you know, to go uh, to be able to work with your childhood heroes is uh, something that's quite special. That's a beautiful thing. And so so when you said this Hughes at 1030 and I, and I, and I knew Right away, the answer is that you, you called him right back. And think about that. What's so amazing about you when I was you, you don't have to be a Hall of Famer for EJ Borghetti to call you right This is your call. I missed you. You missed my call. You called me right, right back. You apologize. Like, EJ, it's all good. Because you consistent with, with your relationships with everybody you interact with. I have never heard anybody say anything bad about EJ. And so, like, so tell me, like, where does that come from? Why is that so important to you to – you know, you treat people with the ultimate respect and, and, and you treat everybody the same, whether they are, you know, future Hall of Fame, Larry Fitzgerald, or, or, or you're the person that was the backup running back that people don't know your name. Like, where does that come from? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I think it all starts with mom and dad, you know, and I'm very, very blessed in that regard. Uh, the things they impressed upon me. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, you think people are being hard on you uh, during a certain part of your life. And then you realize, um after the fact, like, God, thank God they were hard on me. Because when somebody's hard on you, that means they care about you. And I said this not a, a few years ago, I was in an event and had the opportunity, they actually made the mistake of giving me the microphone and my mom and dad were there in the audience. And I said, hey, to my mom and dad, I said, hey, I finally get it. I'm a parent now. I'm a, I'm a spouse. I'm a husband. And, um, you know, uh, I know all the efforts you put in and the investment you made in me. And at the time, I probably didn't understand or appreciate it. Now I do. Now I get it. And uh, my promise to you is I'm going to be able to, you know, I'm going to work hard to pay it forward uh, with my family and so forth. But, you know, um, I know professionally, I had some great mentors growing up. 
came in here as an undergraduate, worked as an intern with, uh, at the time, it was Larry Eldridge, Ron Wall, and Sam Shulo, people I still count as great friends. And um, I remember the example they set for me and the things they impressed upon me. Uh, I remember Sam in particular uh, uh, had this book that was written by the Yankees PR guy at the time. And uh, he printed out a copy and he, and he gave it to me. And the passage in the book was about, hey, how this guy had made it, a, you know, working in New York, right? When we talk about a pressure-packed market, he worked during the Steinbrenner years. Um, and he would say about how, I made it a point to always return every phone call I got, every letter I received. You know, uh, this was during prior to uh, electronic communications. And Sam wrote, he said, you know, read this, remember it, and, and, and try to do it every single day, no matter what you are doing. And uh, I never forgot about that. Uh, I think that's important. Uh, I think a failure to respond uh, suggests that uh, that person's outreach is uh, unimportant and um, everybody's outreach. You know, people who reach out to Pitt, whether it's via email or tweet or whatever the case may be, letter, phone call, I mean, they care about Pitt. They care about Pitt people. And uh, hey, the more, the better. We want to build a bigger bandwagon. And those people who are invested in what we have going on here, they deserve to be treated with respect in a, in a timely response. So, you know, that's, uh, that's my fundamental approach. And again, that's not a credit to me. I mean, that's the credit to people who uh, impress that upon me. And I, I look at it as a responsibility. A beautiful thing. And, and, um, and I appreciate you, part. And uh, so part of who you are, you are a pit man through and through. I mean, you bleed blue and gold. I mean, from the multiple uh, changes from, I mean, we have new uh, um, chancellor, like EJ is holding it down at the University of Pittsburgh. And so take you back, coming out of high school, were you saying going to any other university outside of Pitt or was it just Pitt and that's it? Okay, well, here you go. Here's, here's a, a little known uh, uh, page or chapter from, from my life story. Coming out of high school, I still, you know, had the um, uh, desire to play football. And uh, I actually went to a D3 school for a year, uh, neighboring school, Grove City College. Wonderful college, wonderful campus. I know Grove school. City, they have the great outlets. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Right off of 79. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. But it's a wonderful school, a, a small enrollment. I'm like, you know, I, I want to try to continue to play. Um, I got there and I certainly recognized great school, great education and so forth. But I still had pit in my heart and, um, you know, followed it uh, passionately, you know, feverishly. And, you know, at some point in time during that initial year, I got hurt, uh, banged up a shoulder, turned into a chronic uh, issue. And I thought to myself, you know, uh, I need to I need to go where my heart and my head are telling me to go and I, I need to be at pit. Um, fortunately I was able to transfer there after my freshman year. And I really think that sometimes the good Lord has a plan. I think not going there initially, initially made me, um, all the more appreciative of, uh, my pit experience. Um, and again, that's no disrespect to another institution. Uh, I was fortunate to go there for a year, but, uh, pit was really home to me. And uh, I think it really made me pursue, uh, much more diligently, um, you know, all that Pitt had to offer, uh, not only in the classroom, but culturally, uh, as well as professionally. Um, that's a great thing. I mean, you look, uh, you're, you know, your college choice is very much a personal thing. 
one of the big things I always say about people who are pondering about where they want to go to school and whether Pitt is it for them is just you have an outstanding world-class experience in the classroom. That's important. Said, but when you step outside of that classroom, you know, your opportunity for professional development, your opportunity for personal and cultural development, it's just right outside your door. You know, you don't have to drive two hours to get to a major marketplace where there are, you know, how many internship experiences and opportunities or, you know, wonderful museums and the arts and, you know, uh, uh, a wonderfully diverse culture and population that helps you see the world. Um, it's all right here. And all of that was so vitally important for me. And uh, the good thing was, you know, I, I appreciated it as it was going on. A lot of things, as I alluded to, you don't appreciate when it's happening. But uh, as an undergrad, uh, perhaps the fact that because I, you know, I'd spent a year away from Pitt before coming here, uh, I made it a point to soak up all that Pitt and Pittsburgh has to offer. And it has so many wonderful things to offer for sure. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So what position did you play at Grove City? I was at a, a defensive end. Okay. All yeah, right. I was, so I was an undersized defensive end. Yeah, there you go. I had my I had my hand on the ground. <laughs> my hand was on the ground. He was a stand-up guy, but uh, but it was great. You know, again, important experience. And uh, you know, after I left Pitt, I worked at uh, Columbia University in the Ivy League in New York City. I've often said that Pitt, Pittsburgh, Oakland um, prepared me to make that uh, transition to uh, beautiful Manhattan, uh, which I loved. I loved the the city school experience. Um, and, you know, again, as I said, the Lord has a plan. Uh, after a couple of years at Columbia, I came back to Pittsburgh and uh, was the uh, sports info director at Carnegie Mellon University right up the right. street. And Carnegie Mellon plays, uh, uh, you know, competes in Division Three. It's a great, great school, uh, great, great Division Three athletics. And uh, I think the fact that I had an understanding uh, of what the Division Three the Division Three environment was like because of Grove City helped me at Carnegie Mellon. And uh, then after two and a half years, you know, Pitt came calling again. And that's really why I got into the field. I wanted to have the opportunity someday, some way to come back to Pitt. And uh, I had that opportunity pretty early on. And I'm really appreciative of that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know about uh, Columbia. My wife got her master's from Columbia. Oh, well, I knew that she was smart because, of course, she married you. But obviously, from an academic standpoint, she's incredibly gifted and intelligent as well. Just a great, great school. And, um, you know, the environment re reminds me a lot of Pitt. While Pitt is kind of uh, immersed and meshed with the city, you know, Columbia does is kind of like an oasis on the Upper West Side. But you step outside of those walls and it's Manhattan and it's taxis and it's people everywhere. And it's a, a walking culture, of course. And, uh, you know, Oakland is a walking culture here, there and everywhere. And um, uh, love the big city for sure. And, you know, again, uh, I think college is a personal choice, but I just love, I, I think going to school in a dynamic urban environment just enhances your classroom experiences so much, so much. You can learn theory in a classroom. I can learn, you know, theories of communication and public relations and media in a classroom, but there's nothing like, I mean, every day when class was done, I'd walk up the hill to Pitt Stadium and uh, spend uh, the afternoon in the sports info office and serve me so very, very well. And so, so you said you've been at Pitt, this is what, 25 years, correct? Well, you know, I mean, I was hired, I was hired about a month after Chris LaSalle was hired. He was hired in June or May, maybe it was. I was hired in June of 97. 
So formally, my you know, the formal employment is about, uh, you know, is, uh, wow, my goodness, going on 24 years here. But, um, you know, I've been in the profession uh, since formally. My first job out of school was in 92. So, goodness, I guess it's actually looking closer to 30 years, but wow. more than a quarter century. How about what that? happened? I was a young guy at the table, Sean, when you were a freshman, <laughs> when you came as a freshman, you know, out of Warren in 98, I mean, I was the young guy at the table, I had dark hair, I didn't have to wear glasses, none of that business. Chris LaSalle, by the way, looks exactly the same, fountain of youth, so, the man doesn't So change. do you, so do you, and so, so those who know Chris, Chris, uh, I mean, he's a, he's a pit legend, he actually he runs the operation over there, Chris missed to get it done, Mr. to get it done. Yeah, and so one of the finest people and professionals you're going to find, for sure. You, I, mean, I said earlier, man, you're a historian, especially from the pit sports. So I'm thinking about, you know, what's some of your favorite pit memories? I think the easiest way to go about this, because I feel like the podcast could turn into probably another three hours if I just let yeah. you go pit history. I'm going to limit it to the era that I played. So from 98 to 02, I'm just going to say some names and I want you to react to it. You ready? Yeah, very important right, era. Go. I'm, I'm going to preface it. I want to preface it by saying that was a vital, vital era. Your era, your class, and some subsequent classes took Pitt out of the abyss of the 90s and ushered it into being a perennial bowl team again and getting back into the national rankings. So I want to express that on the front end. Vital. You were part of a vital, vital movement to get Pitt football moving again. So my thanks and gratitude and respect to you. No, thank, thanks for the teammate. Shout out to Coach Harris and the entire coaching staff. Of and so the first name, Ramon Walker. Hitter. Devastating hitter, you know, during my time, I mean, you know, we can talk about people who, who preceded my tenure here, uh, but Ramon Walker, you know, one of the most devastating hitters I've ever seen. Moreover, if he walked past you, you would never guess it. Very slight of frame, but man, did he smack you. Yes, he did. He really did. How about this? So this is my first defensive coordinator when I came at Pitt, Larry Coyer. Larry Coyer. Great football mind. Again, a vitally important figure. Hats off to Coach Harris for getting him the pit to, to handle a rebuilding job. Uh, he was a football man, passionate. And uh, you know what else I loved about Larry Coyer? Here, here's one of my uh, 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 endearing and enduring memories of, of Larry. Being up at Johnstown camp, him being picked up by his graduate assistant on a golf cart and firing up that pipe. Do you remember that pipe that he used to have? Yes, yes. I, I love that. He, you know, he almost reminded me of a, like a, you know, an old sailor, you know, an old sea captain. Uh, but uh, passionate football man, uh, vital to our rebirth, and um, we're fortunate to be able to work with him. This next gentleman, unfortunately, we lost him a couple of years ago. But Coach Curtis Bray. Curtis Bray. You know, Curtis and I, uh, we graduated high school in the same year. And uh, Curtis was just um, an epic, epic figure in Western Pennsylvania football. Gatorade Player of the Year, a national caliber recruit, thrilled when he came to Pitt. Um, you know, but, you know, again, having the opportunity to work with Curtis when he came on as an assistant, uh, gentleman, gentle giant. Yeah. You know, even many, many years after he had been done with football and injuries cut his career uh, uh, short prematurely. You know, I can remember thinking, man, if we could suit this guy up for a few series, we'd be in great, great shape. But he was he was a gentleman. You know, his size, uh, you would never guess that somebody with those, that size and those hands uh, 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 would be just such a, a, a gentleman. In some respects, soft-spoken. 
not on the football field when he was coaching you, by the way, but um, um, uh, uh, certainly uh, I, I feel so blessed and fortunate that I had the opportunity to get to know him and work with him. Uh, I know the good Lord takes care of him now and, and certainly his family and so forth, but um, special, special person. This next gentleman, you mentioned him a couple of times, your guy, our guy, Larry Fitzgerald, freshman year, Larry Fitzgerald. Freshman year, Larry Fitzgerald. Freshman year, Larry Fitzgerald. Freshman year, he still had the Valley Forge Military Academy haircut. You know, came here. You know, remember how close cropped it was and everything? Definitely. You know, this was the thing about Larry. From the time he arrived to the time he departed to where he is now in the year 2021, you know, there was always a, a certain uh, precociousness about him, uh, a maturity that went beyond his years. Uh, he could joke now with the best of them. And God knows uh, I was the uh, target. I was the, there were some jokes at my expense back in the day and I loved it. You know, that was how playful he was with me. Uh, but, you know, there was a sophistication, not only as a talent, um, a hall of fame talent, uh, but uh, also the way he handled things publicly. Uh, obviously we did a lot of media events together and interactions and TV shows and the like, but, you know, he always had a, a sophistication and, a maturity and a professionalism that you don't typically find in people who are 19 years of age. And um, those are things, it's, you know, his success on and off the field since he's departed Pitt uh, is not surprising to anyone who got a chance to, to be with him in that locker room and work with him over those two years at Pitt. And so I'm not sure if I shared this story with you, but my cousin, uh, Corey Stringer, you know, a recipe to Corey. So Corey yeah. was an outstanding lineman for the Minnesota Vikings when Larry was a ball boy. And so Corey and him calling me before Larry went to campus. He said, you know, I got this guy. He's coming to campus. Why don't you look, look out for him? Because I got Larry, I got you. Tell him to look me up when he come in, right? I got him covered. Then it probably brought the game. <laughs> he was putting up numbers. So that's uh that's Larry. Like, man, I turned around quick. Hey, because <laughs> he need to look out for me. He's the real deal. The real deal. Oh, the truth. I mean, you, you were probably lining up, you know, and again, you saw if for as great as his performances were in games, I, I would suggest to you that perhaps his greatest all time catches occurred in practice. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and people didn't see. Uh, no, no, that's but, true. That's true. Some of that was on top of my head as well. So that's up in those yeah. He showed love to myself, Shantae, Tori, all of us. He was dunking on all of us. Two, two. Um, absolutely. And so um, someone quietly has kept has played just as long in the NFL as Larry Fitzgerald, Andy Lee. What comes to mind when you hear Andy Lee? Oh, amazing uh, He should be in Canton as a punter. Uh, uh, for his career has been long and decorated and productive. And, uh, you know, when you think about punters over the past decade and a half, best in the business class, man. Best in the biz. Yeah. Awesome. Um you know, it's funny. At that time, I remember Walt was trying to restock a roster that had so many needs, had so many positions. And again, I, I would suggest this, you know, when it comes to recruiters and talent evaluators and developers, Walt and the staff you put together are vastly underappreciated in that regard. But my, my point about Andy is, you know, um, sometimes specialists out of high school don't get scholarship opportunities. He was a scholarship punter coming out of South Carolina from the time he arrived at Pitt. And um, uh, major compliment to him. And he delivered with an outstanding career at Pitt. 
and has gone on to, as I said, just be one of the finest punters in the National Football League over the past two decades. And, and in my mind, absolutely positively merits consideration to be in Canton someday. He was that good at his position. Yeah, person too. And so you mentioned uh, Coach Harris' staff, uh, coaching staff. There is one coach that is still there that, just like you, no one has a bad thing to say about him. They love him. Coach Bob Junkle. What comes yeah. up for you when you hear Coach, Bob, Coach Junk's name? No, you know what? I don't think you can say Bob. If you know Bob Junko and his name comes up, I don't know how you can't hear his voice in your mind. Yeah, and yeah that's I'm very fortunate. <laughs> he is, uh, I hear his voice and I can hear him yelling on uh, the Pitt Stadium turf back in the day. And then I can see him, you know, prowling the sidelines. And now he's uh, in an administrative role. And, and in my office in the football facility, he's a couple doors down. And I love hearing him there. You know, great thing about Junk, you know, even now, you know, he'll get on the phone. He'll be calling up area high school coaches on Fridays just to say, good luck tonight. Go get them. Thinking of you. And it's that type of personal, it's not a text, it's a phone call. Yeah. And it's that type of personal touch that has made him such an important, influential uh, figure around Pitt and, and the game of football in this tri-state area as a whole. Uh, everybody knows Bob Junko, uh, whether you played for him, whether you coached alongside of him, whether you coached against him. And again, you talk about a vital figure. He was a tenacious recruiter and so important in bringing in vital figures from Eastern Ohio. I know that was one of his, Northeast Ohio was one of his areas, uh, bringing talent into Pitt when we were trying to restock and rebuild. And uh, those efforts paid off tremendously. Definitely. Yeah, no, I mean, he actually recruited this next gentleman uh, from Northeast Ohio. He is I, Ice Hill, Sean Robinson. So, so, so the Sean, the Pitt day, Sean Robinson, that since Pitt, Orange Arrow, Orange Arrow, Sean Robinson. Pitt, Sean Robinson, who comes up? When you, uh, you know what, man? You're, I don't say this because you're on the call. Um, I will say this, <clears throat> echoing what I said about Larry. Where you are now in 2021, um, what you're doing, your devotion to making an impact, your devotion to lifting up all and not just some or not just self, <clears throat> that was evident back in the locker room, back in the day. Uh, I am not surprised in the least the path you have taken I'm not surprised in the least the impact that you continue to make. Uh, that was evident by how you were as a player, a teammate, uh, a student here at Pitt. Um, you know, you make us tremendously, tremendously proud. Um, and you know what? I'll tell you what. Um, you know, you come in as a, an 18-year-old freshman. You know, you're all. Everybody needs to grow, right? You're a, you're a, you're an unfinished product. Um, but I can remember seeing. As you came in, and we're all wide-eyed then, aren't we? I mean, I remember my right. first day in the job. I was 27 years old, but I was wide-eyed. But I remember how you evolved into not only an impactful performer on the field as a shutdown corner, all those PBUs, as a punt returner, but also as a leader. Um, you know, just, uh, man, that's why we do what we do. That's why we do what we do. And uh, I think it was only fitting that you punctuated your career, obviously, with that big punt return. People forget that win over Oregon State was so vitally important to our program. Uh, and you made the play that broke their back. And, hey, it takes 11 out there, doesn't it? Um, but that we finished in the top 25 that year, in the top 20, uh, secured nine wins. That was a huge win on national television. And um, 
you know, I, I think in many respects, you know, as a player and as a leader and as a catalyst for this program, that kind of sums up what you did at Pitt. So very, very important. I can still see it, man. I can still see it. You remember we were playing at, Bank, at the time, it was called Bank One Ballpark, right? The Diamondbacks place. I was in a press box, not on the 50-yard line, but where home plate would be. So I had like this corner angle, and I can still see you know, I'm sitting up there. I see the ball go up. I see it come down. I see you break off to the right. I'm like, you got a chance. He's got. He's going all the way. <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah, that, that cool. did it, man. That did it. That secured such a huge, huge win. And um, so thrilled for what you're doing. You know, the, the ball only bounces for so long. Um, we would be cheating the University of Pittsburgh and the people of the University of Pittsburgh if we weren't invested in people beyond their careers at Pitt. Uh, a precious few have the opportunity to go on to the NFL, but if we're not worried and invested in preparing people for what they're going to do post-football or post-gymnastics or post-baseball or post-whatever, you know, whatever, name a sport, um, then we're cheating. we're cheating everybody. And uh, you are a great reflection of the pit experience, what you did while you were here and what you, how you took that experience and moved it forward into the productive life that you're living. Thrilled for you. You are a pit point of pride, my man. I appreciate EJ. Appreciate your continued support. You once served on our board. I got it. I got a question for you, a test. There's a test. There's a little challenge. So you were speaking about the pump return at the inside.com uh, I became the first person in Pitt's bowl game history to return a touchdown for a punt. Who was second? Tyler Boyd. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. That was an important one, too, in Detroit. He was a freshman. Absolutely. So, hey, you're a member of a rather uh, exclusive club, an exclusive fraternity there, you know, two, two, two people in that club. And, and the best part is, hey, special teams win football games, right? Um, right. You know, right. both of those touchdowns were vital to winning bowl games. Yes. Yeah, well, here's to the next one. Let's go get another one. Let's go get it. H2P. H2P. So, EJ, I mean, you have a uh, you had a wonderful career in uh, media relations at a high level. Young people that are interested in working in your field, especially within athletics, what advice do you have for them? Skills they should be considering developing or building, wherever the case may be, what advice do you have for young people who may want to follow your career path? Yeah, you know, it, it's a great question. And the great thing is, you know, um, no matter what campus you're on, um, you know, uh, I, I think so, so many of them sponsor athletic departments. They're not all Division One, and they all don't have to be Division One. There are some great people getting great experiences via the Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three level, uh, JUCO, uh, NAIA. Here's the great thing. You're on a college campus. You're getting your, uh, you know, you're getting your undergrad education. Uh, go to the athletic department there. Seek those people out. I'll guarantee you the vast majority of the people who are you know, administrators in that, in that athletic department, um, they had, ex, you know, similar experiences as undergraduates in college. They got experiences on college campuses in, in those departments. And somebody who's looking to uh, get into communications or get into um, business and finance from an athletic standpoint, there are um, internship opportunities, work-study opportunities, and volunteer opportunities uh, throughout these departments. You know, that's something that was... Um, you know, an unfortunate uh, ramification of the pandemic in terms of college campuses that we weren't able to really host, get, provide our full internship experience over the past year. And we're very dedicated to getting that kickstarted again now that the, the clouds are breaking on all of this. But my experience was I went to class, 
And then I walked up the hill every day to Pitt Stadium and, and got a tremendous national caliber internship experience. That is afforded uh, uh, not only on our campuses, but on other, uh, you know, across the country, no matter where you go to school. And, uh, you know, hey, you remember uh, Bert Loughton, uh, who was yes. also in the media relations office, Definitely. my uh, tag team partner at the time. You know, uh, he, a great person, great professional, went to Westminster College. Westminster College plays a great brand of uh, athletics across the board. Um, it's a smaller school. It's Division Three now um, uh, and formerly competed at NAIA. But Bert got his experience on that campus as an intern, undergraduate intern. Um, you know, and Bert now leads the Pittsburgh Steelers public relations division. Right. And uh, he is damn good at what he does. And it all started because he took the initiative to get an intern, uh, an athletic intern experience uh, while at Westminster. So, um, you and know, he worked at Pitt when I was there. And he worked, he worked at Pitt, you know, uh, um, if memory serves, you know, he, he, he was at Westminster, worked at Miami of, uh, of Ohio. Uh, we were then able to enlist his talents for uh, several years, and then he went on to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, it's a great asset for them, tremendous asset for them. Truly, when you talk about best in the business, uh, he reflects that. And uh, so the point being is it takes initiative. There is experience to be gained. You need to seek that out. Internships are vital. Some of them pay. Some of them are for college credit. Um, but uh, they give you an experience that at the end of your undergraduate days, you have a resume that you're able to provide and uh, gain you know, so-called real world, real life, tangible experience. As I said, it's one thing to learn about theory in, in textbooks uh, and in classroom settings. That's important. But I would say even more important is actually getting, you know, being able to put your hands on the steering wheel. And my experience at Pitt uh, I'm thankful to my mentors uh, during my undergraduate days. They allowed me to get into the driver's seat and, and, and put my hands on the steering wheel and do a lot of great, cool things that have continued to serve me how many years after. So that's, that's the key. You know, really, you never stop being a student. A young person should try to be a student of whatever profession it is they want to get into. You want to go into law? Hey, reach out. Find somebody in the law profession. Ask what their path was. Um, you, you want to get into broadcasting, same thing. If you want to get into uh, college athletics, communications, public relations, et cetera, et cetera, what do we call it now? Strategic communications, you name it, has so many names, but it's all about communicating. Talk to those people who uh, you aspire to be in and are in roles that you want to ultimately be in someday. So it takes initiative. But I will say, um, you know, circling back to my pit experience, that was what was so great. You know, went to school, came up here. And I can remember, you know, working a big Monday basketball game, uh, Pitt versus Georgetown on ESPN. What an awesome experience for somebody who was 20 years old. And that's where I caught the bug. And, um, you know, uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I've been fortunate enough to be surrounded by a lot of people who cared about me and invested time and their wisdom in me. And, you know, it's important for me to pay that forward because uh, that's why I've been able to do what I love doing for so long. That's wonderful. That's great advice. And so, EJ, as we wrap, as you know, the mission of Orange Arrows to coach student athletes aim for success out of the pool, wherever the playing arena may be. Why is it important for a student athlete to be successful outside of their sport? You've been around athletics, like you said, nearly 30 years now. You've seen a lot of athletes come and go. Why is it important for a student athlete to be successful outside of their sport? Yeah. Well, a few different things. And, I, and I, I've always said this about pit people that, you know, the world is too complex to be one dimensional. 
you can't just be, well, hey, I'm, I'm a football player, you know, or, uh, you know, I play hoops or, you know, whatever sport it is. Um, if you're going to make your way in this complex world, this challenging world, you can't be a one-trick pony. Moreover, the ball always stops bouncing for everybody. Think about the greats of the game, no matter what the game is. That ball always stopped bouncing for them. And then what? You know, uh, you, know you look at a guy like Larry, talk about the exception. Not, not only is he uh, an iconic talent on the field, but he's played 17-plus years. Uh, how long is the normal NFL career? How many promising NFL careers have been cut short because of a, a, an unexpected injury? Um, it stops for everybody. What is your plan after the fact? How are you prepared to continue to make an impact, uh, to continue to be Pro Bowl caliber, even when you're not playing football anymore? That's vital. And um, that's what I love about some of the examples we brought up today. People who were prepared, uh, who had the vision uh, to know that, I'm not going to be able to play the game forever, but you know what? I'm not going to stop driving to make an impact. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, when you think about what the legacy, what the impact of Pitt, you know, the greatest impact and the greatest legacy of Pitt athletics is, it's those types of stories, you know, those types of stories, you know, Jimbo Covert is going into the pro, pro football hall of fame uh, this August. Uh, Jimbo is obviously, he's talking about, you know, legendary figure. Um, college football hall of famer as well. So he's two for two, but Jimbo is a marvelously successful person and professional well beyond when he hung up that Chicago bears helmet back in the day, tremendous businessman, uh, a leading figure on our board of trustees. Um, those are, those are the heights that we should strive for and what young people need to strive for because the game ain't forever. Life is a lot longer than that. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? I don't want to hear, well, I just want to be, a, you know, I just want to play ball or whatever. Don't, don't settle for that. You're better than that. You know, I know those are the type of messages that you impress upon the young people under your watch all the time. And you are doing the Lord's work as a result, man. Because uh, not all, hey, someday we're all going to hang it up. We're going to retire. Um, the good Lord's going to call us home. What's left after that? What's the legacy you're leaving after that? You know, it better not be, you know, as a 25 year old uh, athlete, because, you know, most people are blessed to have a lot longer time on this earth. What are you going to do with that time? Um, that's that's the expectation. And uh, that's what we got to do. It's wonderful. The ball would definitely stop bouncing. EJ, thank you for your time. Ernest, Joseph, also known as Trey. <laughs> EJ, I appreciate you. Three. There it is. Three. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your continued support again. Thank you for who you are and all that you do, man. I appreciate you. Look forward to catching up with you in the near future. Your invitation is as wonderful a compliment as I can get. I'm, I was thankful to spend time with you and go down memory lane and also talk about uh, things beyond memory lane. But you keep doing what you're doing. You make Pitt very proud. And thank you again. Appreciate you. Elder Pitt. Elder Pitt.